Welcome back this evening. We are uh, on Wednesday, or Wednesday nights, goodness, must be a crazy holiday season if I already think it's Wednesday. On Sunday nights, we are in a series called Life with Luke, and uh, that series is really about looking at the gospel account according to Luke, looking at Jesus' life through uh, Luke's eyes. Before we begin our story tonight, uh, first of all, I want to commend you as a congregation for responding so well to the Harvest Sunday, and of course I know there's a holiday baskets and there will be other opportunities. I know the youth group is doing a giving project. I mean, this is just the season of giving, and at Northside, where that's within our DNA, uh, it, it always just fills my heart uh, with the response that the congregation has, and I think that's uh, exceptionally commendable. And I, don't, I know you don't do it for my commendations. Uh, you do it out of understanding who you are and who Christ has called you to be. Along those lines, uh, tonight for Harvest Sunday, and Ben was telling me this, uh, this is the single largest uh, grocery donation that they will receive all year long. He'll put 700 miles on a van doing grocery runs and won't come close to what you all do in a single day. So that is uh, remarkable. Uh, tonight, uh, they are loading up the trailers with, and trucks with these groceries. And so if you're able to stay after, after the final amen, um, if you would just come down front, uh, your many hands would make all of this exceptionally light work. So if you're able to stay five, ten minutes, carry a couple of items, take them out, uh, that will uh, do in mere minutes what would take uh, a substantial amount of time with just two or three volunteers. So after the final amen, and whoever's doing the closing prayer, please uh, give another reminder. Uh, please come down front and, and help if you're able to do so. Tonight's story in the Life with Luke series is going to be a, a well-known story, mainly uh, made well-known because of there was a song written about it that we sing almost every single uh, VBS and uh, kids time, and it's about a wee little man. As we think about the story of Zacchaeus, I think there's some powerful lessons for us to think about and to consider. I want to ask you the question, how did God find you? You know, the story of, of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New is the story of God seeking us. It's not the story of us seeking Him. Very rarely are there people within these pages, and, and I will say very rarely people in the pews, that on their own seek Him out. But He's sought us out. It's a beautiful and powerful story. But thinking about your own story, how was it that God found you? Who did he use to bring you to his son, Jesus, and how did he do that? If you think about it, I hope you know that story, and more importantly, I hope you share that story. It's a story that needs to be told to remind us that we are found people, uh, found by a God who loves us very much. And this, by the way, is also what makes Christianity different from all other religions, Every other religion is about what we do to impress you know, whatever God that religion worships. What we do for that God. Christianity is very different. From Genesis 3 all the way to the closing parts of Revelation, it's the story of what God did for you and for me. 
we need to acknowledge that difference and understand that God has been seeking us, and he's not just seeking us, he's seeking the whole world. Now, whether we and they respond to his seeking is in their hands, but uh, he is the God who seeks, and we will see that in the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. Tonight, we are in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, if you're up person who follows along in your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. I'll be reading there from the ESV translation. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because of his small, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. First thing that we see is Zacchaeus, though he had a lot, he had very little. Scripture tells us that he was the chief tax collector. You've probably heard a preacher or Bible class teacher tell you about the tax collectors, but if not, allow me to uh, tell you anew, and if, if I have, well, just allow me to tell you again. A tax collector was someone that worked, basically, uh, lived on both sides of the fence. He was, by nature, a native, uh, usually a uh, in this case, certainly a, a, a Hebrew, but he worked for Caesar. His job was to collect for uh, revenues for Rome, and he did that with tax collections. Now, a, a, a tax collector basically was allowed to set his own salary. They were required to set so much, and then whatever beyond that they thought was necessary for their living expenses was entirely within their hands. Imagine having a job where you could really set your own salary. It could get out of hand pretty quickly, and it did. And so the tax collectors were hated. They were considered traitors to uh, the people, to their own brothers. They, they did this to those who were supposed to be their own family. Now, now, Zacchaeus was more than just a tax collector. The scripture tells us he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Not only did he have the ability to set his own salary, he oversaw those who set their own salaries, and I'm sure there was probably a a bit of a uh, revenue stream from that as well. So I'm sure uh, the scripture does not overstate it by saying he was rich. There are, in the the story uh, of Luke, we see lots of people who have wealth. And this is just a, a small important, but important point. Um, You need to understand that with those people, wealth is not the problem. 
There are those who teach within the pages of Scripture that it's an unholy, ungodly thing to have wealth. No, that's not the case at all. And We're going to look at a couple of examples from Luke. There are people who have wealth, and there are people who their wealth has them, and that's a, a crucial difference. If you turn in Luke, if you're in Luke chapter 19, just look back just slightly to Luke chapter 18, uh, the story of the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 18, verse 23 and 24 He's a, a good man who has wealth, and he says to Jesus, uh, what is required of me? Jesus says, well, keep the commands. He says, I have. He says, well, there's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me, verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some people stop right there and they say, well, you see, it's, it's a sin to have wealth and therefore you cannot have wealth. Well, the question then is, what is wealth? And wealth, usually by their definition, is just having more than I have. That's wealth, right? Well, they fail to pay attention to the next verse, which is very important in the story. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle then for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, those who heard it logically asked the question, then who can be saved? Verse 27, but he said, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, in, in the story of the rich young ruler, his wealth had him. He didn't just have his wealth. His wealth had a tight rein on his heart. But Zacchaeus is different. Zacchaeus has Wealth, but his wealth has yet to have him. And that's, that's really important, as we'll see in the story. You see, what, what was impossible from a human perspective was altogether possible from a, a divine perspective. We need to understand the difference between possible and impossible. Now, Zacchaeus had a, a lot from earthly perspective. He had a lot from a material perspective. But there was something lacking in Zacchaeus's life that drove him up the tree. It caused him to do an undignified thing. For a wealthy person of, of means and, and uh, to some degree an air of respectability, you just don't go around climbing trees. And he, he did. He, he shot right up there. There was something within Zacchaeus that was lacking, and, and unlike the rich young ruler, there was something within Zacchaeus that caused him to want to do something about it. You see, he knew what the problem was, so did the rich young ruler. But the response to the problem is very different with both of those men. And that has nothing to do with how much they have in their pockets. It has everything to do with the condition of this right here the heart, and how it responds to Jesus. So Zacchaeus had a lot, but, but because of what he did for a living, that often caused tax collectors to lose. I mean, they were basically shunned. The uh, crowd says it well. He has gone to be at the house of a sinner. They had pushed, they had relegated the tax collectors to uh, a very low rung, not, maybe not even on the ladder of social, uh, the social ladder they were relegated to the place where prostitutes, uh, tax collectors, uh, the, the most vile, the most disgusting uh, 
people that they consider. Surely of all people that could not be saved, it was the ungodly. See, Zacchaeus, though he had great means, had lost something within himself. He had gained nearly the whole world, but he, he lost his soul somewhere in that process. Now, some would say Zacchaeus had gone too far, that he was unable of himself to change his position, but Zacchaeus shows us differently as we will see. We see that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, and we, we know the story. That's why he climbed the tree. Uh, the sycamore tree was a, uh, is an interesting tree. I think this is a picture of it. I don't I'm not an expert on trees, but uh, it's, it's basically a very small, sturdy tree with low, sturdy hanging branches. It, my grandmother did not have a sycamore tree, but in, in her front yard uh, at her home, uh, she had a climbing tree. All the grandkids spent a lot of time climbing up in that tree. It was, it was a perfect tree. It had the fork right there. You could put your foot in there. You could pull yourself up with the branches. And then you could actually go out and sit on the branches. So she had some pictures of more than one grandchild in the climbing tree. This is how I imagine the, the uh, Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, because that's this, the kind of tree it was with the low, sturdy hanging branches. And Zacchaeus boosts himself up that he might see the one who will soon be lifted up. Everybody at this point in Jesus' ministry wants to see Jesus. What Zacchaeus has done here is no small... I mean, it, it, it seems like kind of a weird thing, maybe, but everybody in the crowd wanted to see Jesus. Jesus had... had uh, if we if we kind of mesh the timelines with other gospel accounts, Jesus has raised Lazarus by this point. Jesus has done, he's well known for his ability to heal. We looked last week about Jesus and the little children. People were bringing their kids to Jesus. Why was that? Because he, had, he was well known as someone who had the ability to heal and do miracles and so forth. And so that attracts a crowd. There's a huge crowd of people. Everybody wants to see Jesus, including this wee little man who can't see over the heads of the crowd. But most of the people in the crowd wanted to see Jesus because of what he could do for them. I think there was something within Zacchaeus that was drawn to Jesus because of what he could do within him. There was a healing physically, and Jesus obviously did that and could do that. But there was something deeper within Zacchaeus. He was not... He was not uh, handicapped. He was not unable in the, in the traditional sense, but he had a spiritual handicap. He had, a, he had something in his heart and in his life that needed to be changed. And so he sought out Jesus, went up the sycamore tree for the purpose of seeing Jesus the Christ. Jesus looks up, sees him, and he calls him out, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Why, Jesus? Why? Why this man, of all the people who you could ask to have lunch at their home, I mean, you can almost come up with an easy list of anyone else besides this man. Why, why this man, Jesus? Because Jesus saw something within him. There's a prophecy in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 65, if you're still following along. Um, Isaiah chapter 65, verse, uh, about verse 1, says this, I was ready 
to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. There are people that are supposed to be seeking God and supposed to be seeking his will, and yet they are not. And yet here's a man who the crowd has probably written off as too far gone, and uh, he is seeking out the Savior. Jesus understood that. He, he understood Zacchaeus' heart. He understood his potential for response. And we see the response. He hurried down and received him joyfully. I mean, you, you get the sense that, that there's an urgency within Zacchaeus to get out of the tree and, and be, become a guest of Jesus, to be changed by Jesus. Jesus knew Zacchaeus by his name, certainly by his reputation, certainly by what he had done, the way the sins that he had committed against his own people, and Jesus called him anyway. I love that. Can you imagine in your mind's eye a short, sinful, Hated tax collector, chief tax collector, called down by the perfect, sinless Son of God. It's a beautiful picture of God seeking out us. And I think there was a reason. Because what Jesus saw within him was significant. There are two very different responses to this calling. The people lamented, but Zacchaeus repented. He hurried down, and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. I mean, you can just almost hear the grumbling. By the way, connected to this morning, um, the, the topic of gratitude, a lot of times when people are full of ingratitude, they are often full of grumbling. People who are grateful and gracious and thankful have almost no reason to grumble because in every opportunity they see an opportunity to be grateful. But here the crowd is, they're grumbling, not not grateful that Jesus finds a lost man, not grateful that Jesus is going to heal this man, not in a physical way, but in a healing of the heart. They grumble. Zacchaeus, his response is very different. He responds gladly with joy. He, he immediately jumps down and, and climbs down, and, and the crowd, all they want to do is grumble. All they want to do is complain. I was trying to think of a modern example of this, um, the closest I can think of is a guy by the name of Kanye West. Yeah, honestly, I know about this much about Kanye West. I've never listened to his music. I don't have, you know, I don't keep up with, you know, I just know he's, he's a dude that probably by a lot of folks in the religious world could say, that guy's too far gone. And he's had a fairly public conversion. 
Was it genuine? I don't know. God knows. But that's a pretty good comparison, I guess, to, to someone who was, had a, quite a reputation. You know, he had a platform that everybody could see him and knew how ungodly he was. And when he changed, people began to grumble about the wee little man. I, I'm not judging Kanye. I don't know. You know, he may he may be come out as a it was a marketing ploy for his new album. Way to make an extra hundred million dollars off of, of easily dupable Christians. Maybe. But here's a man who is godless in reputation, who's now using his platform, at least for the moment, to bring to tell about a story about a savior who changed him. I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. Perhaps the crowd had the same attitude that day. Well, we'll see. We'll see until the next time it comes time for those quarterly tax collections. We'll see. Eh, we'll see. Eh, I don't know about this. You need to know that Jesus was often criticized in the same way. Jesus had been the source of the grumbling crowd. Luke chapter 7, verse 34. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Luke chapter 15, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus did not come to make the crowd comfortable. Jesus was on a mission. And, and he came for a purpose and a reason. And, and, and anytime we get so comfortable with ourselves and our circle that we, we begin to grumble when people that we don't think should be in the circle come into the circle, maybe, just maybe, we've lost sight of Jesus' mission and have begun embarking on our own mission. Now, as we would might guess, Jesus certainly knows how to pick them, doesn't he? Look at Zacchaeus' repentance. Look at this beautiful response. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. To me, that looks a lot like repentance, and repentance doesn't have anything to do with the dollar amount. Repentance has everything to do with an action, a response toward Jesus' call, something that moved him. This is when I can tell, by the way, when a heart's been moved by the gospel. Not when someone comes up and says, hey, that was a great message. I really appreciate that. Uh, oh, man, I love that. I'm going to send that to my kids. I mean, I, those are nice compliments. Don't misunderstand me. But when I know when a message moved is when someone tells me how they're changing their life in response. It's no different. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. They are cut to the heart, the people to whom Peter is preaching. And they say, what shall we do? What do we do? You've laid this weight upon us. You've told us about Jesus. And, and what do we do? We killed the Son of God. What do we do? Zacchaeus, <clears throat> come down. And he doesn't, even, he doesn't even ask the question. He just does it. 
Lord, I give half, half of my goods to the poor. And if anybody has any claim against me, I'll give them four times whatever they think is fair. That's repentance. By the way, the law only required 20% restitution for fraud. So, you know, if I defraud Shannon out of $100, the law required $20. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give Shannon $400. That kind of restitution went above and beyond the call of duty. By the way, it kind of tells us the the way in which Zacchaeus saw himself. The only, the only part in the law, according to, I think it's Exodus 33, the only part in the law that demanded the fourfold restitution was for someone who stole and or killed an animal, which is a very, very, like a petty kind of thief, just a terrible, awful thing. An uh, animal represented somebody's livelihood, they're supporting their family, feeding their family, and so forth. And so for a person to do that was a pretty low. It required an extra level of restitution. This tells you how Zacchaeus saw himself by how he responded. <clears throat> this guy wasn't just doing the bare minimum. Hey, Jesus, could you just say you forgive me in front of all these people and then we'll just call it good? Now, he responded. That's Repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Paul writes to the church at Corinth who had some issues with sin and Jesus, or uh, with, uh, with repentance. And <laughs> the way he phrases it here reminds me so much of Zacchaeus' response. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians, as it is, I rejoice not because you are grieved, but because you are grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Look what he says, verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief. I don't know when the last time you had godly grief over your sin. To a point where you are grieved to the heart and not just sad about it, but like you did something to make it right. You called out, you cried out, and you, you, you repented. This is repentance. What, what Zacchaeus is doing when he comes down from the tree is repenting. That's a word we don't hear a lot anymore. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and let yet lose or forfeit their very self or their very soul? One translation says, what's, what's beautiful is I think about this in the reverse way with Zacchaeus. What good is it for someone to lose his financial portfolio and gain back his soul? It's very good. Very good indeed. We see this in Zacchaeus. True, godly repentance. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I love, I love this about Jesus. I will always love this about Jesus. Jesus never gives up on anyone. He never writes people off. He never says they're too far gone. He was living proof that God's arm is never too short to save. And his whole mission 
was to seek out people, and particularly people, sometimes it seems that everyone else had written off, everyone else had given up on. Jesus' primary mission was to seek and to save the lost. My question is, is it ours? It's easy to become comfortable with the saved. May God give give us a holy discomfort and reignite our hearts with the mission for seeking and saving the lost. For just a moment, I want you to think about your Thanksgiving table this coming Thursday. If it's at your house or someone else's, would you just humor me and close your eyes for a minute? Some of you are already there. I appreciate it. Imagine the people who will be around your table on Thursday. Does every single person around that table know Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God? And is there anyone around that table who needs to? Is there anyone around that table that you've written off? Ah, they're too far gone. Ah, they'll never respond. Ah, they don't care. May you pray about them this week. May you pray that God will invigorate in their heart and in yours the mission, the ongoing, unstoppable mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which is lost. And that leads us finally, you can open your eyes now, to our final takeaway, is that we might all seek to be a sycamore. Seek to be a person that when people climb into our lives, they do so to see Jesus. And when they do, when they come into our homes, when they sit around our table, they do so expressly, whether they know it or not, for the purpose of seeing Jesus better. You and I, there is no one in this room that can save anyone. You can't, the preacher can't, the elders can't. We are not in the salvation business. Jesus, remember, is the Savior. Our job is not to be the hero. Our job is to be the guide. In this story, the sycamore tree, as best as I can tell, is the guide. The one who pointed the way back to Jesus. May we be as such, and not just this week, but in all weeks. May we not lose the heart for the mission of God. Never write people off. And may we seek to lift everyone who's in our lives up to see Jesus better. Tonight, if you do not know Jesus, I would open to you an invitation. Not my invitation. God's ongoing invitation. The same very invitation that Jesus extended to Zacchaeus. To welcome Jesus into the house of your heart and your life. And how do you do that? Simply trusting, simply obeying, simply doing, simply repenting, simply being baptized into his name. I said simply in front of all those. It, it's simple. It's not always easy, but it's simple. So the extended, uh, uh, invitation is extended to you tonight. If you have that need, meet me down front. If you have a, another need, a public need, you need to repent in a public way. You need to have a Zacchaeus kind of moment, fine. If you need to... Simply turn back in your heart, back to Christ. If you
you've lost your way, if you've forgotten the mission, and we can pray with you and for you. Uh, Meet me down front as together we stand and sing.